0: Welcome to the Perp Web Podcast, hosted by Joe Bosch. Welcome, everyone, to our first installment of Fireside Chat. I'm here with my good friend, Anne Greco. Grech, how do you pronounce it? Greco or Gretcho? Gretcho. It's Gretcho. I, I, you know what? I've said it both ways for I don't know how many years now, OK? So everyone knows Anne, but we're off duty i've been doing this all day and is off duty although she's in scrubs but she's way too far away from the hospital to do anything so here's a (laughs) toast to our fireside chat okay Mm. and in uh in honor of our fireside chat and you can watch the monitor here things sometimes in these fireside chats can get a little bit out of control And there we are we're going to have conversations at the inferno
1: okay at yes. the Inferno. Oh, so yes goodness.
0: conversations at the <laughs> inferno okay so we'll just leave that up and you worked all day yes you somehow managed to i don't know why you would do this for me but you got in your car and you drove at least an hour to get here to magnolia um you are you know, and I've mentioned you a couple of times today, but since you're sitting here, you are the president of the ABCP for another right. year, right? For the rest of this, this tenure, your your service runs for how long? So tell us a little bit about that. So I think for our audience, because um, we're gonna be talking a little bit about ECMO, about ECMO right. and where this is all going and what we're doing, mm-hmm. but I also wanted to talk about some other things, if that's okay with you. Sure. And um, maybe just kind of get the smart so off ice broken and, uh, <laughs> and get the conversation started with tell us a little bit more about the American Board. I think the founding of it, if you have a little bit of that history, maybe not too terribly in depth, but a little bit. And is everything okay? Mics are on? Yeah. Okay, we're good. Um, and uh, you know, how the organization has evolved, what its mission is, and what the current structure of the board is at this point in time.
1: Okay. So, um, the American Board of Cardiovascular Perfusion um, was founded in 1975. Um, It actually, know or may not know, uh, AMSECT was the first professional society for perfusion. And it actually um, started off with the credentialing, but quickly realized that it should not be credentialing members, mm-hmm. that that should be. Mhm. okay. So they do the school. Okay. But um we basically at the American Board set the criteria for credentialing um perfusionists in North America as getting their CCP. So again, that's um that credential is tied a lot to licensing if in states that have it and also to uh employment. Mm-hmm. So um it is it is a goal of um, perfusion ed- education programs to have their graduates be board eligible, sit for that exam, um, become a CCP.
0: Gotcha. I have some questions about that, but could you hold this camera for me sure. for one second? Sure. And uh, let me just pin this over here. Oh,
1: to be right. a little more.
0: Yeah. Well, it's dangling, and uh, I'm like a I'm like a fish. I get uh, distracted, you know, very easily. I think, you know, Oh, you know, I, okay. I, I can get I can start looking. I around. don't want
1: to make you nervous. You know, I distracted. Very, I'm
0: very nervous. <laughs> um, so the schools are governed by one body and their curriculum is taught. I'm assuming that the curriculum that's taught is somewhat married to the board and what they're going to test on, or is it the other way around? The board looks at the curriculum and then develops the test based on that curriculum. So which comes first, the chicken or the egg?
1: It's really both. I mean, there is a core curriculum that um, the ACPE um, requires of their, of their schools, and then that that is a very similar core curriculum to our knowledge base Mm -hmm. in terms of um, areas and sections of the exam that Mm -hmm. that we write questions for.
0: Okay, okay. Okay?
1: So they they are really married. Okay. Um, I would assume at the beginning that was probably a collaboration. Mm -hmm. Since um, we were accrediting schools early on, we probably basically did provide the core curriculum that we were going to test with. Mm-hmm. So again, I'm not, I wasn't there in 1975, but I would assume it started that way.
0: No, I wasn't there in 75, I started in 77. Uh-huh. Uh huh. When did you start? Um, 84.
1: 84,
0: is seven years after me, not really that far, not that far behind. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. But the curriculum is, um, among schools, it, it is called the core curriculum for a reason because um, all schools um, that are accredited by the ACPE under Hap should all be teaching the same curriculum. Mm-hmm. That's why it's called the core
0: curriculum. Mm-hmm. Now, in terms of, um, if for example, when I went to school, um, I didn't pay to go to school. They paid me.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It wasn't very much, but we were considered you know, to some degree, slave labor, okay? I mean, we were, I was on call 24 hours a day, seven days a week for the entirety of the two years that I went to the program that I went to. Mm -hmm. Um, There were no days off, there were no holidays, there were no exceptions. Mm -hmm. Um, And the money I made, I didn't get very much. I mean, I think I made like 55 or $60 a week or something like that, it was pitiful. But school didn't cost me anything either. Right. So that's what you were, so there's no. there was no cost associated to it for me to go. Um, and in the beginning, it actually wasn't until my second year that they started actually giving that little stipend. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because in 1977, 1978, it wasn't much money even then, but it was actually pretty significant when I think about it. Um, you know, and what I could buy, you know, that gave me some room to breathe mm-hmm. and be able to get through school. Things are, but it was also very easy to fire people back then, right? Okay, because you didn't pay, and you don't do what you need to do. I oh, I don't like how it's. Oh, sure. Yeah, you can all but of burn off ice. I don't know where it is. I- okay. Uh, can i leave my ear Thank <laughs> you. i guess that's payback for earlier oh yeah well, can what I happened earlier stuff? Earlier. Oh. don't want to talk about Dude. it or we we the first part of this morning was fantastic the second part of today was it looked like it looked like the inferno, inferno behind you
1: oh <laughs> hmm. Well, I need to know the details now. It was
0: brutal. Okay. Okay, well I'll go through the details with you. Thank you sir. Is is that is that better? Yeah, I so. Okay, good. Um I forgot what I was saying. It's, you know, I had a memory test the other day. It didn't go well. It didn't go well. What the
1: cognitive I just, test? I
0: had a test the other day. Not that. That wasn't full. but it was. It was during a regular checkup. So they gave me the three words to remember, and I remembered them very. You know, they asked, she asked me like you know, ten seconds later. I thought oh, no, that's easy. I answered them, and then she asked me a couple of other questions, and then she asked me those three words again. And I was like, oh, come on, you know, that's long gone.
1: Really? That was that was a long time ago. You were talking about um, school and the stipends. Yeah. You
0: know, you got fired very easily. Yes. You don't, you know, you don't have to be here. We buy. Um, But now, of course, people are paying a lot of money to go to school. Yes. And when you pay a lot of money to go to school, um, the schools can't just fire you. They can't just say you're not going to cut it in this program. Um, because you're going to get sued. Most so likely. How has that? Wh- where did you see that change occur? And is that a good change that occurred? I'm mean, assuming it was necessary because it's very difficult to educate people for free. But given the number of perfusionists that there are, is it even financially viable to train perfusionists in a college? I, I just don't know.
1: Well, I, when I got to my school, they had just uh, quit offering a stipend which so, was Texas heart, right so they they were in it sounded like they were doing something very similar to your program at the time and again it wasn't a lot but um it it would help you you know make ends meet or you would be able to you know afford some groceries or something like yeah, that you could Buy rice yeah yeah it wasn't or very top much. ramen or something or top ramen. <laughs> yeah i don't
0: think they, i don't know if that had top ramen back then
1: I remember Top Ramen oh, really? <laughs> in school,
0: Yeah,
1: but anyway, so, so they, they had done away with that. And I, I think it was just part of the evolution of perfusion education, um, you know, becoming more mainstream, more organized, more professional in terms of how it was going to be taught, who was going to teach it, um, you know, raise that credential, raise that, that level of education, because you see it now with um, master's programs in perfusion. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, it's, um, the goal is always, well, one of the goals is always to advance your credential. Mm-hmm. You see that in the CRNA uh, realm a yes. lot. Yes. That's actually been a master's for quite some time, and yes. I think it's going to a doctorate. Yes. Yeah. So, so I, I see that same progression.
0: And we have doctorates in perfusion, but- does that make sense? I mean, I mean, you know, I can't ever criticize education depending on, I guess, what pathway you want to take or what you want to do, um, but I can't imagine we need to have too, many, too many of them.
1: Well, and I think that's also, and we've had this discussion among our board directors in terms of, you know, does the market really support that in terms of, you know, everybody needs a master's right now? Um, What is what is a master's in perfusion? I'm sure some of our schools that are offering it could could, um, you know, weigh in and and chime in on that. But but what is it? Um, Is it a fellowship in pediatrics? Is it something in in ventricular assist devices or is it just writing a paper? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think we need to really work with the ACPE on understanding if the requirement is going to be to go to master's level, that, that really needs to be standardized what that master's mm-hmm. level mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. Um, and just because of going to a master's, you do have to be affiliated with the university. You yes. Have, yeah, you have to have um, a PhD um, oversight over that program. Mm-hmm. So that that's the way that it seems to be going mm-hmm. um, whether or not some of us have been around a while think think that that is worth it right now it, it uh, you don't see that I mean no. any any profusion graduate of any accredited program is probably going to make the same um, depending on where they are in the country but among between a master's and a non-master's student mm-hmm. there's going to be really no difference in their Starting salary.
0: Well, yeah, and, and pay is one thing. But it's an important characteristic of all of this. But, you know, in addition to that, um, does it really give you any different standing? In other words, you know, perfusion and perfusionists um, are, is, and are an integral part of the cardiac surgery or ECMO team. You're a part of a team. Mm-hmm. But as far as being a you know decision maker you can there are things we do individually in the conduct of a case that we are making decisions very independently mm-hmm. but at the end of the day we're not md's and unless you are an md it doesn't really matter how many phd's you have Mm-hmm. Be you know so you are a, you're certainly a stakeholder, but you aren't the decision maker when it comes to what are we going to do on this case? How are we going to do this case? Well, our jobs I find our jobs to be uh, very elegantly technological in nature, mm-hmm. and the primary thing that we do. Now we need to understand a lot. We certainly have to because again on bypass you're it nobody really knows what you're exactly doing there Mm -hmm. but everything is done under with the understanding that whatever it is you are going to do there is a physician usually the heart surgeon who is in agreement with it you may not have to ask in the moment Mm -hmm. but if you're not whatever you're doing you're doing with the understanding that that is part of the protocol, that's how you would normally handle this. I say it all the time, you're only as good as your last right decision because we're not physicians. Right. Physicians are far more, for, far more easily forgiven for sins of the mind making a mistake, an honest mistake, that could result in a less than optimal patient outcome. Right. We have none of that forgiveness. You mess up, it's usually the last case you ever do. If you get sued, it's usually the last case you ever do. Mm -hmm.
1: So the stakes are very high.
0: Very high. Mm -hmm. Very high and very different. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, again, we are part of a team, and and we are, for that time that you are managing the patient on cardiopulmonary bypass or ECMO, um, you know, that's you're in you're in control of that, Mm -hmm. but you're also in conjunction and joined with your surgeon, your anesthesiologist, your scrub tech or nurse. Um, You're joined with everybody and of course all for the benefit of the patient.
0: Sure, absolutely.
1: You know where so again, what does it matter if you if you have an elevated degree? You need to know how to do that and do that well right and And be able to do that with an associate's
0: degree if you're really good at it
1: correct and you know that's where i think we kind of wonder you know the 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 elevation to masters it it needs to have something value added to it Mm -hmm. in terms of the perfusionist and and their role Mm -hmm. um does it equip them to to better be uh, a VAD coordinator, an ECMO coordinator, um, you know, more of um, an administrative role in addition to their clinical role? Maybe.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, does it help them be more recognized among healthcare
0: peers? Mm-hmm. I don't think so. I,
1: th- I, I mm-hmm. think it depends.
0: Mm-hmm do you yeah, yeah i think it depends why you think it depends I'll, uh, and and i'll tell you why i don't think so okay
1: because you if you if you decide that that profusion is your path and you you get it, you get your masters there okay and again we've currently i feel the masters is is varied in terms of what's required to achieve it
0: mm-hmm.
1: but you have done something more in your education
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You've qualified as a as a graduate of a accredited program. You you have met the qualifications to take the exam. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if the master's equips you any better, but you've you've satisfied what we require mm-hmm. to become a CCP, mm-hmm. and that really is just based on graduation from accredited school with a certain case requirement met, and of course. Um, you know, passing and signed off by the program director.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So whether or not that happened at a certificate program or a master's level, it's of no difference. Mm-hmm. But I feel like if you, if you are getting that master's, that you have done something in addition,
0: mm-hmm.
1: while it doesn't make a lot of difference in terms of acquiring your CCP, I feel like it equips you to either one be motivated to do more in perfusion, other than just being doing the cases. Mm-hmm. Maybe it uh, gives you a bent into research or an avenue to participate in that mm-hmm. um, quality initiatives at your at your workplace, depending on your employment model. Mm-hmm. I feel like it. I feel like it gives you a little more credibility to actually give back.
0: You know what? I have nothing else to say because I (laughs) agree with everything you said
1: 100%. (laughs) What? This is a first. He never agrees with me 100%. That was so
0: so well put and so, I mean, that was very concise. It made a lot of sense. And uh, I don't have a good argument, even just to be controversial.
1: Oh come on <laughs> For this.
0: no you know i mean i really don't i think it just depends on what you want to do i think there is room in the market for both mm-hmm. so my view is it should not be mandatory my view is that i think a bachelor's is a minimum i don't think that you should only have an associate's degree though if you're really good at what you do that's okay with me too but i think you have to have a minimum knowledge base that you're not going to get in that you without going at least through a bachelor's in science with chemistry biology physiology all of that stuff physics that we need to do our job so i would say that's the minimum that you should have i think if you want that as a pathway in order to do things then by all means i value it i think that is important and your reasons for doing it make a tremendous amount of sense but i think that the person who has no interest in that but wants to be a good soldier a great grunt a great technician to do a great job in the operating room for the cases that they do that don't want those other roles or responsibilities i'm okay with that but if you mandate it then they have to Mm -hmm. it makes it more expensive there's only so many of those I guess now it could be the flip of that the market as it currently exists doesn't have a lot of opportunity if everyone every profusionist was a master's level doing thesis theses and so forth probably the market wouldn't support it but if that was more the norm then the market might change to accommodate it because it usually one usually adapts to the other and back and forth so that very well may be the case but you can only have so many chiefs mm-hmm. that's you true you can only have so many people doing research you can only have so many people uh, do you know spending their time doing education things though i think you can do it as part of your regular day but you really do need people who like to do a lot of cases mm-hmm. so I think you need both.
1: And I, do you think that it prepares someone to be a good affiliate location?
0: Oh, that's a very good. Yeah, you know, I mean, that's such a very good point. Um, A person goes to an affiliate program usually to do cases, right? Right. They're learning their didactic, theoretically, and in school um does everyone at an affiliate program need to be a master's to train students no i don't think so should you have one in the department perhaps that's the overseer right like if you want to be a department head in a major place if you're just going to be chief of two people in tuscaloosa alabama you don't need to have a master's there but as an affiliate program you would have to have that, that is part of the requirement. And that is the benefit that the maybe fewer number or those that choose that pathway, then have the opportunity to utilize that skill because they're the ones who can fill that need, which would come with an additional compensation to accommodate the higher degree and the position they have within the organization.
1: Mm -hmm. Because you know, I I believe that sounds like, or we get the impression that um, more just working profusionists um, would like to be affiliates for schools, mm-hmm. and uh, you know some schools at times and um, you know struggle with getting their cases for their students, mm-hmm. and they do have to send them out. Many programs um, actually. Not depend on it, but it's a big part of how they train their their Mm -hmm, students mm -hmm. is through affiliates.
0: And that is so, that's so different than it was many years ago. I graduated from school having done 300 cases plus. Right, in one location. In one location.
1: As did did I. Mm -hmm. And it, it was really interesting over time to meet people that had been through programs that were almost all affiliate-based in terms of their clinicals. Mm -hmm. And I just didn't realize, you know, how you, not unique, but of its time, we were that you, Mm -hmm. that your didactic occurred in the same place you did your clinicals. Right, It was all the same, Mm -hmm. but it's, it's seems to be more and more rare.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. And I'm not sure that's a good thing.
1: Well, you know, I've, I do have a a coworker and and she does some work for you too. And we've, we've talked about that because her training was definitely affiliate based for the clinicals and um, she enjoyed the, the advantages of different circuits, different ways to do things. Mm -hmm. You, you know, you sure learn in a hurry how to get along with people Mm -hmm. (laughs) because you're, you know, you are going to a site where you, who knows what the staff dynamics mm-hmm, are, mm-hmm. the surgeon dynamics. So you, so she thought it was very beneficial and, and a wealth of a, a good way to train.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you know, when I trained and maybe when you did as well, we did pediatrics and adults in the same
0: room. room
1: in the same, yeah, in, sa- in the same Me rooms.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: S- and that is unheard of yep. these days. Absolutely. And so... I don't feel that we had a, we had a different experience for sure, Mm -hmm. but I don't feel that I felt like we were still exposed to, you got to build a different circuit. Now you've got to pick different things, you know, Mm -hmm. from doing a five kilo baby to doing 150 kilo adult, Mm -hmm. you know, and you saw your valves, you saw the aneurysm work. I, the aortic work. Yeah, you got exposed to
0: everything. Yeah, you got. You didn't ex- have to go anywhere to be exposed. Right. Not it was. It was you, all there. And not everywhere you go in these affiliate programs provides a lot of that. So, yes, you learn to get along with people very well if that's your personality. There are people in this world, like me, who are far more likable than others. Right. <laughs> um, and uh, you know, know how to not be abrasive like me. Um again, you know, all of this is about me. The whole thing's about me. Um, and but there are other people who I, you know, if if I were a younger man, knowing myself when I was younger, um, and if I were in that same circumstance where I was having to go someplace new all the time and reestablish those relationships, it would have been a very difficult road for me. And I think there's a lot of people who are very good at what they do who may not have the right personality for that Mm -hmm. and it puts them at a real disadvantage so if you are that kind of person that is very chameleon-like and can just adapt very easily to a new environment and just is one of those people that everybody always likes um, and there are people like that you're fine but if you're one of those people that takes a while for you to kind of you know, for people to kind of get used to you and warm up to you, your fill, your 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 uh, time is up before anybody really gets to know you and like you enough, and your experience there may be very 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 different. Where if you're training, you're doing everything in one place, the educators, everyone has a vested interest in you, and they have gotten to know you over that course of time, mm-hmm. and so it makes the learning. I think. Uh, a, a better in that circumstance. Now, if you're, it yeah, could flip could go the other way. You don't get along with anybody here, but you go over there and you got along enough. Right. With them enough.
1: So the affiliates program great fit. also, yeah. yeah, could be a way for you to actually blossom or thrive. And reinvent
0: yourself. Yeah. Sure. So I'm sure for every negative that I could find, there's probably a positive in there somewhere as well. So you, you know, it's, it's, uh, there's no perfect system. I think that's what we're determining you.
1: Right. Here, right. Right. It could be done a lot of different ways. And, you know, you've, you've encounter fantastic grads, you know, from, from all different ways. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they certainly, you know, know what they're doing when mm-hmm. they, I mean, they're being trained correctly
0: mm-hmm. well and, mm-hmm. and well.
1: so yes who's to say you know what Mm -hmm. is there a best way or is it just being adaptable and flexible obviously in our jobs is really important (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but at the same time i was just um kind of amazed to hear some you know stories of students going out to their affiliates um and maybe that's the first time they've they've um perfused on a a human being Mm -hmm. and uh, you know just that stress level to me i was like wow how -hmm. would you, you know that's 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 right up
0: here. yeah that's right up there. Yeah, that is that's right up there. That's stressful. And it's so important to have good instructors. It's so important that the faculty in those circumstances um, are people who are there to really invest in a, another person who they may not knows success. right. Um, and it's uh, so affiliate programs are uh, are critical. I think, in terms of having the right kind of people, not necessarily the people with the highest degree, Mm -hmm. but the people with the um, highest level of of communication and uh, able to maintain their composure while someone learns to do something that is so incredibly important and critical because you can really make or break a person in those circumstances i Mm -hmm. think so um, again i think when you're familiar with a place you get in trouble and made to stand in the corner or kicked out kicked out of the room or get fired and rehired in the same day three times (laughs) um you know those people and you kind of get used to it and Mm -hmm. you sort of know what to expect um but when you're someplace new And somebody gets flustered or frustrated with you and they snap at you, that can, and you have to stay there another two months. Right. That can be real hard to do.
1: Yeah. And we've talked about your favorite phrase, there's no crying in perfusion. No, there
0: is no crying in perfusion, (laughs) but good Lord have mercy. (laughs) I know you've told me that, that, that you know some people that are coming out of school that are so really talented and good. But I gotta tell you, man, I've heard a lot of crying. I've heard a lot, I've heard way too much crying. In fact, I was opining about that earlier today and talking about, you know, just the younger generation and what the heck they're thinking and who makes, you know, the kind of money that we make. I don't disclose exactly what it is, but I have a very comfortable life. There's no, you know, you're only and, and, and some people are work, making this and working 25 to 30 hours a week. Maybe there's not another industry in the world that you can make this kind of money and work that little. You know, now the call, that's a pain. Right. You know, but we don't get called that often in the middle of the night. It's not that frequently. I don't have to do it anymore. I've done plenty of it. Mm-hmm. So, it's a little easier for me to sit on my perch and move, not that bad. But, you know, I remember getting woken up at one o'clock in the morning. We've got a type one dissection and be like, no, I don't want to go. I cried, you know, I did all that stuff. Right. Like, just get oh, yourself man. up and you go in and you put your happy face on and you go to work. Right. And you do it. You may do that on the way there. But you don't do it while you're there, because everyone else that's there,
1: right, would feels rather the not. Same way. Right, would rather not be there. As Correct. Well.
0: Correct. Okay. So we actually were supposed to talk about ECMO. Okay. We've thus far <laughs> talked about everything but. <laughs> um, but I do have to ask you. I heard, and I don't know if it's accurate or not. I want to make sure that I don't pass along inaccurate information. But I heard that they have opened. 12 new perfusion schools is that accurate
1: i know of five
0: five okay you would know so the 12 is just an exaggeration from somebody
1: well unless they're going back a little bit and putting it all together but you know um okay the past two years five to seven five. Five maybe to seven, seven. Maybe seven, seven, seven. if you want to take two that have been going for a little bit here.
0: How many have we lost?
1: Um, Two that I can think of.
0: So we're up a net. So we're up three to five. Mm -hmm. Okay. And any further on the near horizon?
1: Um, Not that we've heard officially. Um, You know, part of our collaboration with the ACPE is to, um, you know, let the be notified when um, a school or program has applied for candidacy. Okay. Because there's a, there's a lot that goes into you just don't start a school. So KHAB
0: has to tell you versus the school tell you.
1: The school has to has to apply for candidacy.
0: Through the ABCP or KHAB?
1: Through through K-Hab. Through KHAB.
0: Mm-hmm. Then KAP has to inform you. Well. We would've hoped they would. And okay. they okay. and so they, so they're and not they, obligated to.
1: But they we have a very good relationship. Right. So but, they do.
0: Yes, they do, but it's not like a, a requirement. They just do as a courtesy because it's
1: Correct. appropriate. Right.
0: Okay. So a school could technically open up without the American board knowing it.
1: For a time. Okay. Again, you know, once once they start once you start getting an application for exams, mm. you're gonna know
0: that mm-hmm. they've
1: that they exist mm-hmm. and you're gonna to have to know that they're accredited by the ACPE because okay. that's the only way um, those applications are considered um, credible to apply. Okay. You've gotta meet that. Okay,
0: yeah, it's a convoluted system.
1: So we would have to but know I kind of understand it. that they were an accredited school. Right. And candidacy uh, is, is required mm-hmm. by the ACPE at this time. OK, there, there were um, in the past a few situations where schools would open and get running before they would formally seek candidacy.
0: Uh, well, I did, you know, my the school I went to, of course, we were the second accredited school. So the whole thing about our, our school and, and uh, just to clarify, it was um, Billy Applegate and Charlie Reed were close friends charlie taught billy billy started the school in tucson so when i was in my starting my second year is when charlie came out and did the site visit Mm -hmm. of the program so the program i went to was not accredited now at the time it didn't need to be accredited for me to take the board but they wanted it to be accredited before I took the board, which in fact happened. So you were Texas Heart, T-H-I. We were Tucson Heart, (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm T-H-I-2. Or another T-H-I, like the restaurant Broken Egg. (laughs) The restaurant Broken Egg is from Mandeville, Louisiana. Okay. And it was on Lake Pontchartrain, on the north shore of Lake Pontchartrain. And that's what it was called. It was called the broken egg. Mm-hmm. Well, they decided to franchise it, but instead of franchising it as the broken egg, they franchised it as another broken egg. So, when you see those restaurants, another broken egg, the original is in Mandeville on the North Shore. Now, it got destroyed at Katrina. Don't know if they ever rebuilt it, but that's where it originated. Oh, okay. So, there's the story of another broken egg.
1: Yeah. So, are They're you? They're very good. Are you another? THI so we're
0: another THI yes so you have THI and then then we we have have another THI right gotcha and that's how that now that school doesn't exist anymore it closed down in oh I want to say it was Billy died I believe in 1996 or 97 95 Billy died I think think in 95. 95 And they tried to keep the school running, but he was he was the school Mm. and uh, it just withered on the vine and just didn't make it. Mm. I think they did like two or three. So they only took um, one student per year. So you had a first year and a second year. When I went, there was no junior. It was only one student per two years. And then they changed it to uh, one junior, one senior.
1: That is so small. No wonder you were doing everything.
0: Everything. Was
1: mm-hmm. it because they didn't think they had the caseload for you or they just didn't have the, the personnel for the diet? Yeah,
0: they didn't have the personnel. OK. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was it was Billy Applegate and Bill Gabriel. Bill Gabriel was a graduate of Texas Heart. OK. Um, and him and Billy were partners. The surgeon was Adib Sabah. Was his name? He was a uh, he was an Iraqi from Baghdad. Uh, Interesting fellow. acted just like just acted just like it. Um, And uh, there was just two of them. And so you know, between the didactic and the clinical, but you did you know, like I said, you did everything. But I don't think the infrastructure was there. Uh Is what it was.
1: And then no succession plan to no. keep it going. No, there yeah. wasn't.
0: Yeah. They, I think they always wanted to stay like that. Very small, very boutique-ish, very um, intense training. I have to say that anyone I know, do you know Paul Shuttleworth? No. Uh, he's out in California. He uh, He's up at Stanford. Okay. Um, if you don't know Paul, but he's an, an excellent refugist. Uh Very, you know, and he's done very well. Anyone that came out of that program, I think did extremely well. But he came out, he was two students after me. So I graduated two, two students after me, he went to that program and he ended up in California and did very, very well, very well. Um, but I think that was their whole idea, was we want people to leave training that can go do a case anywhere. the very next day, anywhere and be highly competent. But again, it was over with in the, uh, whatever it was, 93, 95, somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. So it, it lasted from 77 until 77, 87, not even, about 18 years. Well, that's a, not a low. bad run. No, not too bad. It would have been nice to have seen it continue. Now, University of Arizona, right? they picked it up um, not as tucson heart institute but their own program Mm -hmm. and now they have
1: that right and that's it's great yes yeah yeah
0: and uh he has the uh that course that you can take uh one of our friends is taking that course right now uh that's coming back in the industry to try and uh retake their boards and be able to pass them i don't think there's any doubt that they will but uh he said that David's program is uh, is a very good program mm-hmm. and has a lot of information. And David, of course, he's a Ph.D., Okay, extremely bright, um, uh, good perfusionist. So I think that he certainly has demonstrated, you know, look at uh, Julie Wagner. You know, she's a Ph.D., right? Mm-hmm. Um, is she a perfusionist? She is a perfusionist, too, right, Julie? How I believe she? so. I believe so, too. I don't know why I'm wondering about that. And then there was, um, who was that girl that was up at, uh, up at Ohio State? Started with an S. I can't remember her name. Mm, I don't know, I can't remember. She ran a course up there for, uh, uh, for uh, uh, board uh, preparation okay. as well. Um, at Ohio State, but you know, they had a school there that right. closed down. Yep. Um, so I think that's, I don't know too many other PhDs. I know a few. But not too many. There's, it's pretty rare.
1: Yeah, um, there was one on uh, that served on a, as a board director for a time. Mm-hmm. PhD in education,
0: mm-hmm. and that's the question: What PhD should you have? Right, a PhD in perfusion or a PhD in education? <laughs> that's another thing. And then remember Tabby. Mm-hmm. Tabby's uh, she's a perfusionist, but she's a uh, she has a PhD and she's doing post post PhD graduate work on top of it. Um, uh, and she's extremely bright. She's a very, very, very smart person, much smarter than I'm ever going to be. Um, but she's also a profusionist and she, but she has a love and passion for research. Right. Right. You know, and teaching. And that's what she loves to do. I enjoy it too, but I like it more in this format than the more formal format of an actual school. Cause there's all kinds of teaching that you can do. Oh yeah. Okay, we have five minutes left to talk about ECMO. Okay. Where the hell is ECMO <laughs> going?
1: It's here to stay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> ah, dog it. Oh, I didn't want to hear you say that. And well, please I mean, everybody, say it isn't so.
1: Everybody knows what's been happening over the last two years. Mm-hmm. And I just think that the awareness of that therapy is is just going to be long lasting. Mm-hmm. Um again. Not necessarily for every pandemic that comes along, but. Monkeypox. Um, well,
0: right. We can heat you up. Put John Ekmo and <laughs> heat you up. Do but, therapeutic hyperthermia. I've <laughs> if, tried that a few times.
1: I have no idea if that's considered a therapy for monkeypox right now. Maybe not for
0: monkey. Well, you never know. <laughs> I mean, you don't know until you try. Let's just heat people up, cook them. We'll do a cushion delay <laughs> yeah, that's what they call it right oh my god <laughs> well we do have the inferno
1: behind us so we I, do. Yeah, Yes, it's all about exactly. hyperthermia yeah, i'm feeling the heat yeah the uh-huh. heat but I, I just feel like um because of that experience and the way that that therapy was utilized it's it's on the radar mm-hmm. in in terms of something to do for mm-hmm. for patients
0: well it's so interesting i was told during Immediately after, when the pandemic was still ongoing, but kind of we saw the light at the end of the tunnel, and it wasn't a train. Um, God knows we saw a lot of lights, but it was it was definitely we just kept getting knocked back out the tunnel on the other end, splanted to a train. Um, but uh, I was told by a hospital, we have absolutely no interest whatsoever in being any kind of regional referral center and doing ECMO, and blah, 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 blah. And that was probably, what, um, 12, 14 months ago? Maybe, maybe 8 to 12 months ago, somewhere around there. I don't know whenever. I've lost track of time through all of this, whatever time it was. I had a meeting with them just the other day. Mm -hmm. Well, we've made a decision that we're going to be a regional referral center for ECMO, and we're going to start a PERT. I don't want to say a PERT team, but a PERT program, which is the PE response team, uh, which is going to require to have ECMO readily available Available. all of the time, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So now, so from we have no interest in doing that to, well, we're going to be a regional referral center for uh, for ECMO patients. Mm -hmm. So what happened? (laughs) don't you remember this conversation yeah kind of okay well you know we have to move forward and this is what we're going to do my concern is that i see and have seen things like this before i've seen and i say perk team i know it's redundant but it's just easier for me to say i've seen these perk teams before i've seen them come and i've seen them go i've seen the big investment in it and setting everything up and all of the training, et cetera, et cetera, only to watch it wither and die, usually because of horrible judgment on the part of the medical uh, practitioners who were making the decision who's who's gonna be put on ECMO and then not being able to make a decision about we need to end the care of this patient. There's no chance of survival. So what say you? Yes, (laughs) Yes,
1: <laughs> I've seen that. Um, and, you know, I've talked to people who, you know, they're they're in pretty um, outlying kind of community areas yeah. that say, hey, they came to me and they want to start doing it. Mm-hmm. And then we talk about what that entails and, you know, you need a medical director and to and you so people i say ecmo is a four-letter word um because people don't really understand what it involves when you say it no um it got a lot of attention in probably the lay community people know what they they've heard that word before Mm -hmm. uh throughout COVID, of course Uh, i just read an article in the paper last sunday about someone who had um, been in a rural area in missouri ended up in st louis on ECMO and it was just kind of describing what their life is like now, um, you know, they still are on a oxygen, you know, tank and, but you know, maybe getting better, you know, maybe we'll be able to recover fully, but you know, just how long it takes and what it's done to the, their family and mm-hmm. just, how, but at the same time, he's also walking, surviving and has, you know, is gonna see his six kids
0: mm-hmm.
1: grow up for a while mm-hmm. um, and, and does have a portion of his life back mm-hmm so you know you questionable
0: quality but right maybe not the best quality of life but it is life right and you know and and, and it is precious i do understand and you know i i am a little bit concerned and i don't want to be a disservice to the community at large but um i think that people hear things about ecmo and it's life-saving and they sensationalize it but for every one of those patients there's a lot of death and destruction and a lot of despair and a lot of pain and i know that you know we go through that to save one life but the question of course is our selection and who do we save and what is considered saving a life and what life do you want versus the life I want to accept or somebody else wants to accept and we don't have any of those answers and to spend the rest of your life doing this because you're not a lung transplant candidate and every once in a while having to use oxygen yeah you're alive but I don't know that I want that Mm -hmm. I don't believe so I think that you know we've seen you and i have both seen and you know whether it be us in our industry or whether it be military people um you know law enforcement people um <laughs> certainly certainly people that work in funeral homes <laughs> we've seen a lot of a lot of death and we've seen a lot of uh, sad deaths um but uh it is a process of life it's something that's going to happen to us anyway sooner than any of us actually want and the real question is are there fates worse than death i guess the question ultimately and that's only a question that an individual can 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 determine for themselves
1: mm-hmm.
0: Very not something individual. can determine for someone else but
1: again but so it brings to the forefront the structure for your ECBO program. If you're going mm-hmm. down the road, um, it, it is better structured instead of um, a knee jerk that we've done everything, but let's do this. Mm-hmm. You know, where's that medical director? Where's that team that does have an algorithm for patient selection mm-hmm. that looks to the literature, to the established programs that you know through ELSO or platinum pro mm-hmm. program, or you know who have achieved a level of success um you know what are they doing and you know at least to me that seems to be the more thoughtful approach Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in terms of if you're going to do it do it right
0: such a good point and and it's one of the things that we deal with all the time someone puts the ecmo in it's post-cardiotomy i want this this is how we're going to do this They're gone. It's the middle of the night. Intensivist walks through. Well, I'm going to change this and this and this and this. And then we get into a long-term situation. Mm -hmm. And they're done for the week. And another intensivist. or the next shift comes in. Now we're going to change this to this. This is how we're going to do this.
1: Right. You're reinventing it all the time.
0: Yes. And I would say that a message I have to our audience and a message that I wish people could see me and tell me and listen to me, you have to have a central decision maker Mm -hmm. about how you do ECMO. You cannot have uh, 50 or five or even two cooks in the kitchen. Yes. You have to have this is what we're gonna do. This is the plan and have it written out for this patient and people can't change that unless it's necessary, medically necessary for the circumstances that may have changed. Right. But this is what we are going to do. This is how we're going to do it. We're weaning, no, we're not weaning. We're weaning, no, we're not weaning. And we're going up, we're going down, we're going up, we're going down. You got one person telling the family, I'm seeing some signs of improvement and the very next shift, I really think this may be hopeless.
1: How do you do that? All right, it's way too much of a roller coaster. And it doesn't it doesn't benefit anybody. Um no. the clinicians are frustrated that are, you know, bedside, you know, the mm-hmm. nurses, the the ECMO, um profusionists or specialists. because um, you're just getting conflicting information and it doesn't seem to be driven in a way that's uh, I don't want to say useful, but that you it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. What's the plan? No one knows the plan.
0: What's the plan, Butterman? Yeah, I'm telling you, it is the biggest problem that we have. I have seen orders change within hours of one direction to another and then back to the original direction. I've seen them change four, five, six times within the course of two days. Mm -hmm. And you you can't, you know, we're gonna extubate and trade. No, we're gonna keep them intubated. We're gonna wake them up. No, you're gonna paralyze them. I mean, <laughs> I mean, we, we, right. You know, it's like, on. well,
1: what are we doing? Right. You know, it, it's the change is just sometimes minute to minute, and it's just I don't I don't know what we're doing right. here.
0: Right. And that's the biggest problem is is that if you're not an ECMO center, if you don't have established protocols, if you don't have a director where they have can have a designee who however they're gonna run it, but you have to have one person who has to be in charge of that patient maybe it's one or two people that work collaboratively together right Whatever but at least
1: the thought process are. is the same yes
0: or some committee that there's two three four mm-hmm. people this is what our plan of action is going to be because the way we're doing it right now i feel does not maximize the effectiveness mm-hmm. overuses the technology and patients it shouldn't be used in and results in issues occurring that don't need to occur in the course of the patient's course that may not be positive for the patient because we're always making these changes. So the effectiveness of the program seems to be compromised. So you have to have all of that. It's a real commitment. And then it's a staffing commitment. We just depleted the blood bank on a patient that was... Severely thrombocytopenic yeah. and bleeding severely, and we emptied the blood bank. There were—I mean, this is Houston, Texas, and we were flying blood in from Beaumont. Wow, that's a lot of blood. That is a lot of blood. We went through a lot of blood. I and don't you know. So, in a smaller, more rural program, where if you don't have it, the patient's going to die.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So I understand they want it, but they have to understand that if you have it and you use it, there's a lot of cost associated with it that's worth it and rewarding when you save someone. Mm-hmm. But it can cripple you as an organization because you have it on, you own this patient. What are you gonna tell the family member? We're gonna turn it off. Family, I mean, you can't just do that. Right,
1: Once once you go there, you're committed there and then there's all the legalese and who's mm-hmm. medical power attorney, what's going on there, who's going to mm-hmm. make those decisions. And all the while, you know, the care must continue.
0: Mm-hmm. And you think you want to get the, tra- we're just going to put it in and transport the patient. And you have these arrangements <laughs> with these hospitals, these big medical center hospitals, until they tell you, we don't have a bed. You got to keep them. Right. We'll call you when we get a bed. Mm-hmm. 46 days later, oh, then yeah. who's going to pump your cases, who's going to stay up all night? What are you going to have to bring profusionists in or specialists in if you can find them?
1: Right. Mm-hmm. It just it takes a lot of thought and a lot of preparation and just a lot of contingency planning. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Yes. So, you know, it makes me wonder We talk about this like people used to talk about the ventilator. (laughs) Is it going to come a day when, ah, just put the patient on ECMO, we'll be fine. I wonder if we'll get there.
1: I don't know. I mean, we saw, you saw some of that going on in just your experience. Yes, yeah,
0: but it's it's not quite like going on a ventilator. But 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 they went to ECMO first. They did. We didn't put them on the vent. We didn't intubate them. Right. With the belief that that was going to, dude, that was very dramatic. That was, that was... That was unsettling to see a patient writhing and just trying to desperately get out of there while they're putting this big line into their IJ, trying to hold them down to do this. Like, because they didn't want to be intubated, but they were agreeing to this. Do you know what you were agreeing to? Right. Do they know? And we couldn't put them to sleep because it was going to, that was going to tip them over the edge.
1: So you know education and understanding
0: i'll tell you what that whole thing i have ptsd (laughs) for that whole event and Uh, i'm never going to really recover from it i don't think
1: well and you know just walking ecmo patients oh yeah you know you never thought you know you you, i never thought i'd see that you know, just the way they get, uh, you know, the cannulation strategies Mm -hmm. now, it's just, it's all evolving, which is why I'm saying it's, I think it's here to stay, because Mm -hmm. as it evolves, the things that we struggle with, or the things that, you know, are barriers, or the things that, you know, are predictable for maybe not good outcomes, you know, they're finding out more and more about how to do that different, you know, and new technology comes to the market. I mean, you know, The dual-staged lumen, that cannula was a game-changer. Yeah, I
0: have one sitting right over there. (laughs) Yeah, it's, Um, you know... It is, and that crescent where it goes into subclavian is so much more stable, and uh, you can really walk them a lot easier. The the one that goes, when you put it in the right IJ and the lines are up on the head and looped Mm -hmm. around and stuff, it's very uncomfortable for the patients. This seems to be a lot better. Mm -hmm. You have to worry about, you know... Venous drainage out of the arm, some some venous congestion, and also losing your subclavian artery from compression. But uh by and large, it works really well. You can address those issues if you need to. But it, you know, maybe it's better to put a graft on or something like that. I'm right. not sure, but you know, it 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 works pretty doggone well. I have to agree. And it, and it I also want to talk about the incredible durability and the determination of of some human beings i've seen it you know where they have literally laid there and died but then i've also seen them taking those first few steps on ecmo they haven't been out of the bed for you know two months and their poor little legs are so skinny and and emaciated and they're so determined and they take those first two steps that's all they do and they're exhausted and then three four five days later they're walking a hundred feet or fifty feet at least. And they're just so proud of themselves. And they and and they they have that, that will to survive that is just unbelievable. Um but as durable as they are, I've seen them so that they're so fragile. You can do so much to them. You know, I've made this comment, I've joked about it. It's really hard to kill a human being, <laughs> but you get to a point. And they can take it, take it, take it, take it, take it, take it. Anything past here, gone. And we see that with our patients. They, I've seen them come back from, how did that person survive? Right. But you take that same person and you just add one more little thing and off the cliff they go and there's no coming back. Right. So incredible. So their durability. It's a dichotomy of durability and fragility.
1: Mm-hmm. And just human spirit.
0: Yes, and, plays such a huge
1: role. Yeah, determination.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know what? Because you know, it, in that article, I, anybody can go on the Chronicle and read it. Um, you know, they they did really cite the difference in the recovery when family was able to be there. Mm-hmm. You know, to be you know, you walk in some of those rooms, and I know our our audience has done you know seeing this where. Pictures of their family everywhere, yes. uh, really trying to just, you know, bring it home, uh, the FaceTiming, um, you know, anything to keep them connected to their life.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, it, so they don't develop that psychosis. Right. Just because I see psychosis is real. Right. And that helps to, you know, keep that from occurring. Hugely mm-hmm. beneficial.
1: Right. And I, again, and just the, you know, the care teams are wonderful, you know, nursing's wonderful. Everyone's there to make, to try to, they want a good outcome. They yes. want to see them recover. But when your family's there mm-hmm. and you know, that it's, it's real, it's mm-hmm. real, real, It's if, real, real. If they're, if they're cognizant they're awake you know not you know totally you know sedated and even if they're they are hearings last thing yes, to go they that's say right.
0: hearing's last thing to go so
1: if they can just hear them hear mm-hmm. that voice that they I
0: need to remind people of that when they're putting me either in the oven or they're <laughs> lowering me down I, I might still be able to hear magic
1: <laughs> don't say anything
0: <laughs> <laughs> don't say anything yet okay wait until i'm really like the dirt's all covered or well, I'm not going to be buried I want to be cremated <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. but just that mm-hmm. connection with real mm-hmm. real life your your family
0: absolutely It's huge well i hate to cut this short okay. but i think we're there and uh, i do want to show you a little bit of the studio
1: i want to see sim man that's sim man right there i want to know he's right there i want to see it
0: i show you about sim man um david's going to i'm going to put a couple of things back so you can just take a short break and set it up like we're doing the actual simulations so that you can see how the system works because even though we can do this in person and we have chest tubes we have a foley in uh, we can put a trach in we can do different cannulations all the cannulas are under the drapes in the belly you can take the drapes off and open we open the belly up and we make all the connections there they run out the back underneath the table Um, And I just left it like that so people could see the ECMO simulator that we have from Eigenflow that does a variety of things. You can make the pump chatter. You can vary the flows, increase inflow resistance, outflow resistance. It's got a little computer uh, monitor that can do different things like oxygenator failure and stuff. But I also have a patient monitor simulator that's a lot more sophisticated than that. That works very well, but this is like really over the top and a ventilator simulator. So David's going to set all that up. You can take a short break. Okay. And then when you come back, we'll have it set up just like we would ordinarily have it to do an actual SIM case. And we'll just sort of run through one real quick. Awesome. Sure. Okay. Well, I want to thank everyone and I want to thank you so much. You were Always here a for our raging inferno. Yes, uh, it's our <laughs> inaugural, so this is great. Uh, we we're, we're. I had to write fireside chat. Can we go back to the fireside chat so we can end this on the uh, on that <laughs>
1: instead of we're... burning up?
0: Yeah. No. No. We can't. For. You dumped it. Oh, he's trying to save the system from dying, so we're stressing the system. Way overloaded. We've overloaded the system. Okay, well, this is just a little out of control fireplace <laughs> for the board because I have to list this as a fire. I know you're president, of the workshop, <laughs> sorry. We list it as a fireside chat, so that, but it's we we really call it conversations at the inferno. Okay, it's really what it is. I like it.
1: Yes. I like conversations little, at the inferno. Yes, it's a little bit
0: different, and I think we could. This format would be mm-hmm. very useful for just telling stories. And uh, we're going to get some different chairs and things like that. I think David's working on making this part a little bit better. But that's a pretty cool green screen. Oh, yeah. I painted the wall green. I see? painted this myself. Wow, nice job. So, yeah, well done. I did pretty good. Four coats. Yeah, I was going to say it it's really coats. green. I didn't do too good up the top. Oh, yeah. But magic did that part. <laughs> Blame
1: um, it on Magic. Or the
0: edges over there. I didn't do too good over <laughs> now, see, there.
1: see, that's my favorite part part of painting i love to cut in along ceilings dude and- i can't do
0: that okay i'm not a painter okay like i'm not a painter you, you know, know what, what i do really well i clamp tubes
1: okay I like i'm a that. real
0: good in fact i can spin tubing clamps i can oh wow we are gonna have to have stuff. a
1: little um I demonstration have. of your clamp
0: skills oh my clamp skills are pretty good okay i got some skills when it comes to clamping. i want to
1: see it in like like a gun like I put
0: it in a oh, holster. Yeah. i want to yeah. i can do that too Okay and i can pull it out open and close it and which is simulating firing it spin it and put it back okay that's how you need to
1: open this next time
0: <laughs> okay, okay well do, that that will be the opening yeah and That'll we be can the play opening.
1: some of them you know doo-doo.
0: we'll have to just that's <laughs> some right. western Da-da-da. music yeah that, that's yeah. right i want to be if i'm going to be anybody it's going to be Clint Eastwood. okay okay if i'm going to be anybody it's going to be the good the bad and the ugly okay right or what's his whatever that guy's name no no who's the other guy that he was the, uh, who was that? What was that one where he was going out into the wilderness and there were they the he he got this granny and the Indian guy and the daughter of the granny and they were going out and Chicago? huh? Chicago? Some way. No, 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 no. It was Well uh, recent. And he spit on the dog all the time. No, wasn't hell rider. I can't remember. We'll figure it out. All right, we'll tell y'all later. We'll see you next month for our next installment of Perfweb. It'll be Perfweb eighty three, August twenty second through August twenty fifth. We'll see you then. Thanks for joining us. Good night.
1: Bye.